0: What's good football fans back at you once again with another podcast and I wanted to come on today and let all you men and women out there Let you all know that this podcast is about to get a kick in the ass starting right now We have officially entered the section of the year that I cannot stand the absolute most and that is the preseason And Saturday we will have our very first preseason game I'll just be the first one that says it. I couldn't give a rat's petunia if my football team wins Saturday or not. What I hope for is for them to come out and show me that they know how to put football plays together, not get injured, vanilla it up. Like, I don't want to see anything that I'm going to see in the season. Uh, I have heard Rivera say now twice that Carson Wentz is going to play. So I'm taking it on his word, on Ron Rivera's word, that our quarterback is going to be in for at least one series. Now, I'm still not used to this whole 3 preseason game thing, so it's, you know, I'm still getting used to how everything's gonna go, you know, as far as, you know, before I knew with 4 preseason games, I knew how much the teams were gonna play the players, and, you know, by the time you got to the 4th preseason game, nobody's playing, but now it's a little different, and you have to kind of sit back and see, it probably is gonna fluctuate from coach to coach how much playing time the starters get versus how much playing time maybe the second stream gets. Now, one major question mark and one big thing that is kind of lacking on this football team, obviously, is that, you know, Chase Young is not playing football right now. And he's actually in danger of at least missing the first week of the season. And if they keep him on the pup to start the year, he'll miss up to, four, what was it, four weeks, I believe. And that is is not good for the team, in in the you know the, the, the line of trying to get him back as fast as they want, but they want him to come back and not get re-injured. So, you know they have a couple of guys that have been doing a decent job behind him. James Smith Williams is one guy that stood in, even though I believe he had a sore hip a couple of days ago in practice. It's kind of hard to gauge with Rivera on injuries because he plays everything kind of close to the vest, close to the hip, so to speak. Like he doesn't want to give information out about injuries. I think he feels like the, you know, the opponents will get it. Or I don't know. He's just an old school guy. He doesn't like to let a lot of things out of, uh, out of house, so to speak. But right now, of course, we've got Logan Thomas still nursing the injury. Chase Young still nursing the knee injury. Uh, John Bates has had some issues with his calf. They've been working him back on the field a lot more. Cole Turner, the rookie tight end, he's a guy that I really had my eyes on, you know, earlier last week a lot because he was getting a lot of playing time and uh, in camp, and it was because the other tight ends are all out, so he's the guy that's getting called on, and he showed, you know, that he can get the job done. And then he had a, a hamstring tighten up on him, and they pulled him out for precautionary reason, is what. Rivera is saying, keep in mind, they're really deep at that position with a lot of young, big guys and anybody that knows how, how the workings of the NFL go, they know that the players get stashed. And I can already tell you that he's eyeballing these five or six, you know, tight ends and and trying to determine which guys he's going to stash on injured reserve. And, you know, maybe which guys get cut and which guys stay on the roster. I'm starting to wonder if maybe they're going to keep four because they really have a deep room there. But as far as players who have shined at camp, you know, guys that have stood out the most above everybody else, you know, the name that keeps popping back up is Jahan Dotson. It's just, everybody is talking about him. And I know that you know, because of Terry McLaurin missing minicamp and then some time over the summer that maybe he's behind in the system a little bit right now. And the media guys have all just been beating it down saying that Dotson has been outplaying McLaurin or that he's the best guy on the field right now, which may or may not be true. Jahan Dotson was a complete freak in college. He has a set of hands on him that is going to wow everyone, okay? Now, looking past Dotson several other guys who showed out, you know, a guy that there were a few guys that I, that I, you know, before the season said that, that you know, we need to keep an eye on this year. And all of those guys have, have all actually shown something. Uh, Derek Forrest to me is a guy that we really need to step into the role that Landon Collins played last year. And I, I believe that, that Forrest could actually be a better safety than Collins ever was, honestly, but he's more, Physical, in my opinion, but he plays better closer to the line, just like Landon Collins, you know, and he fits that quote unquote buffalo nickel package pretty well, honestly. And they have a few other guys that they could plug and play into that as well. So it's really going to be interesting over the next three weeks to see who wins out these spots. But another rookie, Percy Butler, Ron Rivera has been just completely adamant and freaking colorful about this guy like every time he's asked he lights up he starts talking about all the things that the Percy Butler can do and how you know how quick he is and how you know he's all over players and you know his bump and run and he's really good at this and you know he's just he completely is in love with what Percy Butler can bring to the football field and that right there is is very telling to see a guy that kind of falls in love that quick with his game it lets you know that that's what Rivera is looking for in the player and it would be nice if he could be our future you know free safety that really would be nice I've actually heard quite a bit that's that's good about the secondary and that they've been looking good but I've also heard that primarily this camp the defense has outplayed the offense and I was kind of expecting that you know especially earlier in camp before they put pads on because that's kind of the way it always is the defense has the advantage because the offense can't really do much they keep getting pushed backwards they can't hit they can't, you know, even the score, so to speak. But, the, you know, it still kind of looks that way from when, when what you hear and what you see and what what, what can be told that, and you know, in 11 on 11s and seven versus 7s, that the defense is kind of getting the better of the offense. Now, I have seen some footage shown that shows that the offense has been able to do some things. But, of course, that doesn't mean that they've been able to do the things that we all want them to do. And do them every time we need to do them. Now, I understand that there's a lot of timing to get down right now for this quarterback and these wide receivers. And, you know, Curtis Samuel hasn't played basically organized football in, what, like a year and some change. I mean, I think he played, what, maybe a couple games last year. He, he, He didn't even get over 200 yards receiving. And this is a guy we're going to pay $12 million this year. So... There's a lot that we're expecting out of him, and it seems like there's a lot of receivers that we're expecting a lot out of. And with that said, it it looks like from, if you hear Rivera tell it, Dax Milne might be one of the better players coming, you know, into preseason right now on the team as far as uh, possession receivers go, which is crazy, and it's only crazy because I had him as a cusp player, and I still think he's on the cusp, you know, when you – when you look at Milne, where exactly does he fit in on your depth chart? To me, when you look at the the, the top receivers, you know, because I don't I don't just say, okay, well, this guy's having a tough camp. You know, he's never going to be, you know, good again or whatever. But in my opinion, you know, you got McLaurin, you got Dotson, you got Samuel, and then you got Deami Brown. And then from that point down, you've got Dax Milne, Cam Sims, Markin Mitchell, Kelvin Harmon, and Alex Erickson. Um, you know, and Erickson, he's really close to securing a spot on the roster to just return kicks. That's how much they love this guy, you know? So you start looking at it, and are all these guys fighting for the fifth spot on the roster, or will this team keep seven? That's another question you got to ask yourself. And Rivera is not known for keeping seven, I'm pretty sure. I know he hasn't since he's been in Washington. But that's what it is, you know, can't really change it. Going back to Carson a little bit, you know, I know that everybody is, is really up in arms about him being inconsistent and a little inaccurate, but keep in mind it's only practice. And also remember that this is not really anything new. Like, he's had, he's had a history sometimes of these things. He's, he's a flawed player. He has some things that he needs to work on. That's why I was saying when we got him that, yeah, he has a complete rocket, a cannon on, on that arm, you know, on that shoulder. But um, he needs to be coached up some, and, and his mental is off a little bit. You know, I think that the being this is his third team in three years, I think his probably his noodle is a little off. Like, he needs somebody to help him get his mental right. Hopefully, their quarterback coach can do that and get things to where they need it to be. Thankfully, we have Ken Zambezi, and I know for a fact that he's, one of the better guys with the quarterbacks that, that that still is a quarterback coach in the NFL, like a, a guy that was a former quarterback in the NFL. And I continue to try to tell people about Sam Howell. Everybody wants to come to me and say, man, have you seen Sam Howell's arm? Like, this guy has got a, a, a cannon. Like, he can throw it. It's like, yeah, he can throw it, and he can move around in the pocket, too. And he's actually sneaky fast for for you know what people take him for and um his size is not all that great that's one thing that that, that was against him in my opinion as far as us ending up with him we stole him in the draft getting him where we got him but he has a cannon arm but he's used to an air raid offense where things are a little bit different than a pro set so he has some things to learn give him a little while if things with Wentz don't, don't work out, you know, maybe Hal gets a shot in a year or two. You know, given what we gave up for him in the draft, if he ends up being a career backup, that's really not a bad thing either. But with the arm he's got on him, I something tells me, down the line, this guy's going to get his shot. You know, be it it's the NFL, so be it injury, be it free agency, you know, whatever it be, this guy's going to get a shot eventually. You know, going into this first preseason game, one thing that bothers the hell out of me is that you know Antonio Gibson dumped the ball on the, on the ground a couple times in practice over the last week, or actually in the same practice, and it just brought back, it you know, just opened those fresh, you know, those reopened those wounds or whatever those fresh wounds are from last year, and really made me remember how that killed drives for that team. And, you know, you you don't have to think that much to remember the very first game when he he fumbled inside of their territory. I believe it was on, like, like the 10 or the 15. And it changed the entire layout of the entire game. We lost that game, and and it was kind of a momentum killer. It made the, the defense, you know, it broke the defense's back. They had to immediately start right there against the goal line, you know, and that's demoralizing. But the guy is dynamic. I love what he brings to the football field, you know. But you got to know that Rivera is going to yank this guy if he starts to turn the ball over repeatedly. But Gibson has some 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 competition sitting there. Like, don't forget about J D McKissick sitting there. He's not the the normal per se third you know third down back or whatever. But you also have Brian Robinson Jr. sitting there now, and that guy is he, he's going to turn some heads when he finally gets his shot too. I like to change the pace he brings to the field. He's a big bruiser, but you know, he's the kind of guy that is sneaky fast too, but he hits a second level and you got a cornerback standing there trying to tackle him. and He's going to get run over probably nine times out of 10. So when this guy gets carries and he gets to the second level, expect him to blast free for 10, 15 yards of carry once he hits the second level that's what I'm expecting anyway you know I know that there's absolutely no way that that that, uh, that we could do with less running the ball running the ball is the key to pretty much everything I realized that Scott Turner may look at things a lot different than the rest of us do I, I just got kind of frustrated with the guy over the course of since he showed up in town but I feel like with you know a, a gaggle of good running backs that we can't go wrong here. We have to find one that can carry the ball and do well with it. Uh, Gibson, I wish he would try to be more north and south. You know, I know he tries to fight for every inch, and that probably ends up with him trying to, to cut back. He loses focus, and he, he, he and, you know, he doesn't think about holding the ball. But I get that that's his dynamic aspect, you know, trying to take it to the house, and he's a threat every time to, to break free for 70, 80, 90 yards. But if he keeps dropping it on the on the turf on the ground then you know he what good is he that running back room is kind of interesting right now if you take a look at that first depth chart that they put out and uh jared patterson actually is i believe fifth on the depth chart you know like they, he's really at the bottom of it and last year he was the big story in preseason if, if you don't remember anyway camp has been kind of strange you know we, we had two players retire uh, antonio gandy golden who was trying to make the, the changeover from wide receiver to tight end unsuccessfully but he did show up in like great physical shape he just i guess he just got the feeling like he wasn't going to be able to catch on with a team that has a tight end room like we have already and then uh, trey walker A uh, undrafted linebacker, I believe out of Idaho, he retired. And that was kind of odd. But then I believe the next day he showed back up saying that he had weighed things in his life or whatever the case may be. And Ron let him come back to practice. He's way down on the depth chart. So I don't see him being a guy that stays unless he gets brought back for the practice squad. But, uh, you know, that's just an odd situation to me. I remember when I was a little bit younger and hearing about players, you know, doing that. But, in those days you wouldn't get a second chance those coaches would have showed you the door and you wouldn't have been given your opportunity to come back they would have told you hey you made your choice when you walked out the first time but uh hey that's what it is you know it shows you how much things have changed in life how much the game has changed a lot of people spend a lot of time saying that it's a great game but the game is not it's not classy or it's not it's not a beautiful game like you know it's a great game to play but it's not a beautiful game to to, to see behind the, the the shadows or whatever the case may be. It, it is what it is, man. It's got to be pretty tough on some of these players, especially when they get to the end. They hit that that thirty year old mark, and nobody wants them, and they have to reprove themselves. Like it, it's it's probably pretty tough. But uh, the young guys, you know, at least they still got the opportunity to go back to school or to take the the, the bit of money that they've made, even if it's just a couple hundred grand. Like in Gandy Golden's situation, like he was like a fourth round pick. He got some money out of that. So he's going to be able to go do whatever he wants in life now. And he's not going to have to worry about going in debt to do it. And that's, you know, I I wouldn't call that the American dream, but it's at least a good start. You know, one thing that happened recently, Ryan Kerrigan retired. And that one kind of hit me kind of hard because I'm already seeing, you know, celebrities that I knew growing up or whatever passing away and such like that. But seeing Kerrigan, who was a guy that I was already, you know, a a grown man and aging a bit, I'll just say when we drafted him and to now see him retire and he's aging a bit is a very awkward situation for me you know my immediate take on the situation was is I thought that he should definitely go in the ring of honor and it needs to be soon you know I I I get it that the team just announced that Mike Bass is going in this year so maybe you don't try to belittle Mike Bass's name by putting Kerrigan in next to him I'm not going to argue with you if that be the case, but I'm going to say that if if you know if we if we're doing this one a year thing, then Kerrigan needs to go next year. Um, this guy meant a lot to me. You know, he was my favorite player for years. Um, he was everything that Brian Arakpo was supposed to be. Like when we drafted Arakpo kerrigan ended up being everything that we looked at a rap pro and says that and so that's what we want we want a guy that's going to come in and get the sacks break the sack record you know be a force for years and that was kerrigan that ended up doing that and when we drafted kerrigan we kind of had this he kind of gave off this medium vibe if you know what i mean like um first of all i thought he played out of position his entire career just about like he they, they kept him at linebacker for way too long The guy should have played defensive end. And I I know people, I've gone round and round with people saying, well, but it's an edge position. Well, he spent a lot of time in coverage, which he actually wasn't that bad in coverage, but he was just so much better on the line. And uh, then, you know, last year, of course, he got the knee injury and and couldn't pass the physical or whatever. And that was a a big reason for him ended up, you know, in Philly. But I I don't, I'm still a little bit down on why that happened. But moving on. Um, how long will his sack record, you know, stand? Like, so that's one question you have to ask yourself. How long will Ryan Kerrigan's sack record stand? Um, Dexter Manley's sack record stood for a while. And there's an interesting story behind that because honestly, if Dexter hadn't had the demons he had and the issues he did have while he was playing with some, you know, with substance abuse, that sack record would have been so high that, uh, Kerrigan never would have touched it. And, you you know, I've already expressed how much of a, you know, how much I respect Ryan Kerrigan. Um, Kerrigan would have never never touched that. And and I'm not certain anybody would have. But, you know, what are you going to do? But the first question you have to ask yourself is, will Ryan Kerrigan be a long-term coach for the Burgundy and Gold? I don't personally want to see him go elsewhere and coach somewhere else. I think that would be... Just not what we need at this point. We need to make a statement with something like this. You know, I didn't like when Russ Grimm went and coached with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I thought that was trash. And then he went and coached with Arizona. Like, we never brought him in. That was so stupid. And I got a feeling it was probably due to his, you know, Russ's kind of open mouth, so to speak. And he didn't like the owner, I'm pretty sure. Still doesn't. Uh, So my assumption is, is that's why he didn't get a job. But I can't put my hand on the Bible and swear to it because I don't have any proof of it you know it's it's one of those I don't have any sources I guess I could say that I have a, you know, anonymous sources or just a, nobody you know I can't give my source up but I don't like to do that kind of crap you know <laughs> I digress completely but anyhow defensive line Sam Mills the third. they fired him and they promoted Jeff Zagina and I personally think that they left the assistant coach role open to see what's going to happen next. You know, the same day they fired Mills, Warren Sapp showed up for the second time this season. You know, the first time was in mini camp, but uh, he showed up to work with the D line along with Ryan Kerrigan, who's been there with the team every day since he retired. And uh, you know, he's shadowing is what, uh, is what Rivera calls it. But, Zagina has 17 years of coaching experience. I hope I'm not completely slaughtering his name, but he's hands-on. The guy's vocal, like they, 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 they showed him today, talking, he's just, I mean, he is a, he's a Mali dude, which is good, which is what they need. They need somebody to get up underneath them. They don't need somebody who's trying to be a friend with them. And something's telling me that that might be what was going on. Obviously, I'm not in the locker room to see myself, but obviously Rivera didn't see something he wanted to see with that team. You know, just real quick, I want to talk about something. I'm going to put the link to my Pick'em League in the description box of this podcast. And I want you guys to go check that out, to join the league. You pick seven games a week, just seven. That's it. I'm going to talk about some of my picks here on the show. But you pick your seven games, and we have a sponsor. And our sponsor has offered $150 uh, Fanatics gift card. And second through fifth place all pay $50 Fanatics gift cards for you to buy whatever you want. And I and I'm thinking that if we get enough people in the tournament, that the way I'll do it is is I'll make sure that all Washington fans in the top 10 get something, whether it be a couple cards, a picture, something. But that contest is open to everybody. So, you know, go down there in the description bar, check it out, log in, make your picks. And if you finish first, you get the $150, go buy yourself a new jersey. Or if you don't wanna buy a football jersey, go buy yourself whatever you want. It's $150 from Fanatics. You can buy yourself a baseball jersey if that's what you want. Now we come to a moment in the show where I wanna do a little topic, uh, a couple of little lists, okay? That I've been wanting to do for a while. So here we are. The first one is my all-time top 10 Redskins players list, okay? Honorable mention, okay? Because I don't think he played enough to make my top 10 of all-time Redskins players. I mean, we're talking 90 years, okay? So, you know, all-time Washington Redskins players. So, in my opinion, my honorable mention is Sean Taylor, okay? And at number 10, I have Dexter Manley and London Fletcher coming in at a dead heat. All right, now, the reason why I got them at a dead heat is because of the way Dexter's career ended. Okay, because I'm going to tell you, I looked at Dexter Manley like he was Superman when he played football. Uh, so when he fell off like that, it, it was, I, I remember my, my grandpa being like, no, nah, he you know, he did this and this and this. And I was just like, whoa, huh? And I completely didn't understand it. And I saw him pop back up with the Cardinals and then he got suspended again or whatever. But the whole point I'm trying to make here is is that London Fletcher was the opposite end of that spectrum. London Fletcher was the guy that didn't have as much you know you know athletic ability as dexter manley or the muscles or the 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 machismo or whatever but what he had was heart determination and a pure football players you know just drive the dude was just unstoppable indestructible i mean he never missed a game for us like he just played played and played and played and played and played and played and he's the underrated player And I realized when he eventually goes into the Hall of Fame that he'll go in as a Ram since he won a a ring with them. But I think that he knows that that down deep that he's he's a Redskin. He's one of the all-time greats. Number nine, Chris Hamburger, the hangman. I mean, do I really need to say anything more? He went into the Hall of Fame in the early 2010s. What was it, 2011? The video is actually up on my old YouTube channel, but... What a player. I mean, he played in a time that the the, the rules were completely different. And he did all kinds of craziness. But, uh, you know, what was he taking? Like the 16th round or something? Just wild. Great player. Great guy, too, from what I hear. Number eight, Ken Houston. Washington traded like like six players, five, six players for Ken Houston. And Ken Houston is one of the all-time great safeties in the history of of the National Football League, and I know a lot of the younger people are are they're all, you know, they're all Sean Taylor fans, and I get that because Sean Taylor was such a beast. And then when Sean Taylor died, it immortalized everything about him into being this all time great. Even though it kind of we caught lightning in a bottle for like a couple of years, honestly, we did, and I believe that he would have turned into probably the greatest that we'd ever seen, but reality is what it is and ken houston is the best safety that's that's ever that's ever won the burgundy and gold up to this point right now as far as full term career Um, we're talking about up you know a hall of famer here all these people on this list right here uh with an exception of dexter and sean taylor are going to be in the hall of fame eventually or already in the hall of fame i should say because all of the other names on this list are hall of famers currently i believe london fletcher will get in there eventually at number seven charlie taylor i mean What more needs to be said? This guy had all the records when he retired in the 70s as far as wide receivers go. He was a beast. And he was, you know, that guy of his time frame. I believe they're going to wear his number on their jersey this year because he passed away in the offseason. Number six, Bobby Mitchell, another iconic player. Um, He actually goes down in most history books as the first black player that ever played in Washington, you know, for George Preston Marshall after the whole controversy there. George Preston Marshall is basically just a piece of trash. But in history, people don't realize that George Preston Marshall, more so than ever, just didn't like to be told what to do. A lot of people took that as him being a complete racist or fascist and a couple other things was talked about with him, but... What I saw was a guy that wanted to win. And he really put together a lot of different traditions with the football team that stood up all the way to the end. You know, the marching band, the song. You know, it, it's just, he did a lot for the organization. But he, you know, controversial figure. And to me, Bobby bringing Bobby Mitchell in was probably the best thing he ever did. And he was forced to do it. But bringing Bobby Mitchell in was the best thing he probably ever did. Now I will tell you though something I read in Rick Snyder's book, uh, the, was it a hundred things that Redskins fans should know or something to that to that to the Um It's a great book. You guys should check it out. I'm plugging it for him. Um, but I read in that book that Bobby Mitchell actually was not the first black player to play for the Redskins. They actually had brought a few other black players in that year to play as well, and they actually were in on the uh, the, the special teams play. So, I forget the guy's name now, it's, 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 it's slipping my mind, but there was actually somebody else who, who was in on the kickoff before Bobby Mitchell ever came in the game itself. So, he actually wasn't the first black player, but he's given the credit for being that. Number five, Art Monk. When I was a kid, I thought that Art Monk was just from a different world. You know, and and I can't even explain it. Like, this guy didn't drop passes... You know, he, when they stuck the microphone in his face, he'd say two words and he'd be out. He did not want attention. He did not care if you, if you, you know, he, liked, he, he wanted the fans to like him, but he did not care if the media or anybody else liked him. He, he came in, he did his job, and he left. And the crazy, you know, thing is, is that he owned a lot of records before Jerry Rice came in and broke all of them. Um, but he had to wait for years at the door to get in the hall of fame and that bothers me he got in it's it's and 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 all of that's changed now so it is what it is great player love art monk number four john riggins and i'll tell you john riggins could be higher on this list some people might even debate the fact that he should have been at least third but the way I view it, and Riggins, for a lot of years, was my favorite player completely um, until until Daryl Green came, came around. You know, i a huge Daryl Green fan, but John Riggins was the cornerstone back and the cornerstone player of that, that first championship run. And, you know, he had one of the most iconic runs in Super Bowl history. Everybody has seen it, especially if you're a Washington fan, you have seen it. And he's sort of one of those larger than life kind of personalities too. You know, as if you ever watch his show, the guy is just a rock star. I love him. Number three, Sonny Jergensen, and some people might say that Riggins should go ahead of Jergensen. I don't, simply because Sonny was one of the, the better quarterbacks that ever slung it, and when he did it, you know, Washington was down. Like they didn't have a lot of great players in that time frame, and it seems like. As Sonny was getting older, the team itself actually got better. But he is an all-time great. He's in the Hall of Fame. And I've got him at number three. Number two, Daryl Green. And this, my friends, is my favorite player. I loved watching Daryl Green play. I can't even explain it to people nowadays because it feels like, you know, I was like so little. And now when you see him you know he doesn't look like he's aged hardly at all, and he could still run fast and here I am, and I'm old, you know, and I mean i I'm you know I digress, I'm not that old, but um I'm definitely younger than him, and I feel older than he looks, and of course, that leaves number one as slinging Sammy Ball, and the reason why he stays number one for me is because he's the icon I mean the guy played both ways. You know, he was an all pro at both and he punted, you know, what in the freaking hell I've had people argue this point with me forever in a day, but what it boils down to guys is he was the first player inducted into the pro football hall of fame and he's an icon and he's our, he's our number one player in the history of our organization. Now that said, I want to move quickly into my next list, which is the top five players I've watched with my own eyes now on the outside of that list is ryan kerrigan but at number five i got london fletcher number four i got sean taylor number three i got art monk number two i got john riggins and number one i got daryl green daryl green was like i said man the guy was just on another planet when it came to how he played and he was clutch and you know i hate to use the word lockdown or shutdown nowadays but he was a shutdown guy back in the day And, and, and everybody used to talk about dion and you know, what he brought to the game and what he did and all this other than the third. But when Daryl Green and Jerry Rice played each other, you should go back and look at some of those battles. Like Daryl Green really gave it to Jerry Rice and Jerry Rice respected him and knew that he could not run him. He knew that there was a whole lot of things that Green could do that bothered him as a player. But that's my list. And I'm going to tell you those five guys I'll go to war with or six guys I got Kerrigan on the outside. Those guys I'll go to war with any day. You know, one last thing I wanted to talk about was Joe Jacoby getting snubbed again by the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Now, it wasn't enough that they they made Joe wait through his entire eligibility as a former player. Okay, he waited all through all his years he could wait. They kicked him back to the Veterans Committee, and he's still waiting. Okay, so this year they pulled him up. He was a, a semifinalist and he did not get named a finalist. I don't know what a guy that's a four-time Pro Bowl selection, a two-time AP first-team All-Pro selection, Uh, he was on the NFL 1980s All-Decade team, and a three-time Super Bowl champion, has to do to better his resume to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But I think it's really ridiculous that so many names have gone in since Russ Grimm went in. First of all, I'm kind of not sure why Russ Grimm went in before Joe Jacoby. They put Russ Grimm in before Jacoby, and that confused me then because Jacoby was the better lineman. And I know that I've seen people argue this point with me. Of course, anybody will argue anything nowadays, right? But Jacoby was the better lineman. Since Grimm went in the Hall of Fame in 2010, listen to all these players on the offensive line that have went in. One of which was actually a Redskin player from the 1950s and Dicky Stanfield. Russ Grimm went in in 2010, and then behind him we had Dermonte Dawson, who was a hell of a player. A lot of these guys are hell of a players, by the way. I hate that the Hall of Fame does this to us as fans. They pit us against other teams or whatever to argue with their fans about players that were good and were good enough to be in the hall. But since there's such a backlog at the door, everybody has to wait. And then once you're done waiting, you may push somebody else off the list or you may keep somebody else from getting on the list or you may keep somebody else from getting in or, you know, this is this and this is that, right? Well, anyway, let's go back to the list. Dermonte Dawson, Willie Rofe, Jonathan Ogden, Larry Allen, Walter, Je- Walter Jones, Mick Tinglehoff, Will Shields, Dickie Stanfield, Jerry Kramer, Kevin Mawai, Duke Slater, Winston Hill, Jim Covert, Steve Hutchinson, Alan Fanica, and Tony Baselli. Now, I'm sorry. I could pick out a small handful of guys on this list right here that should not have gotten in before Joe Jacoby. Okay, but I want to pick out the one that stands out the most to me. Jim Covert should not have gotten in before Joe Jacoby. I am sorry. I'm calling out right now that Tony Baselli should not have gotten in. It, it, does Baselli do any of the things that I mentioned before here? Did Baselli win any rings? But the thing I keep coming back to is what did he bring to his team? I get it. He was a cornerstone to the Jaguars team. What did they do? They, they went they went, to, they went there to put up the playoffs a handful of times. They didn't really do anything. You know, a lot of these other guys you can make arguments with. Jimbo Covert, like, I, maybe if I'm a Bears fan, I'm happy he got in. But otherwise, how can an NFL fan look at his body of work and then look at Joe Jacoby's body of work and not know who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? How could that happen? How can that continue to happen? You know, and it's, it's, it's embarrassing for the Hall of Fame because they're the ones that continue to look like idiots. Maybe one day we'll get some finality out of this and Joe Jacoby will get his rightful place in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Hopefully they do it before the man passes away. That's all I got for today. I appreciate everybody stopping by and listening to the episode. Y'all keep your eyes out for the next one. Take it easy. Peace.